0: For those of you who have not been with us up to now, we've been going through the Book of Acts, also known as the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, also known as the Acts of Jesus Christ. In short, just Acts. Uh, It's important to take the Book of Acts in context. Before studying the book of Acts, we studied the Gospel according to John. And in the Gospel according to John, we learned about Jesus coming to earth, Jesus dying on the cross, and Jesus rising from the dead. And the Bible tells us that by doing this, by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and then rising from the dead, He opened the way to heaven. Uh, The Bible tells us that mankind is bound in sin. And in death, we're all uh, doomed and headed to hell as a result of of Satan's causing man to be separated from God. We sinned, but it was part of Satan's uh, war or battle against God. Now, Jesus won the victory in the cross by him dying for our sins and rising from the dead. He opened the gateway to heaven. And so now, we can all go to heaven. We don't have to go to hell. Jesus did the work. But he committed this thing called the gospel, which is a message, to men, to the church. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. He's given them the gospel. He says, you will be my witnesses. And you, you need to go out and preach the gospel to every creature in the whole world. And the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Everyone that hears the gospel and understands it and believes it, will go to heaven. We have that as a guarantee upon the word of God. So, what's Satan going to do now? It seems like he lost the battle. Well, there's one thing he can do, or seems to be trying to do, and that is to contain the gospel. Right? If the gospel goes out to all the world, preach to every creature, people will be saved left and right. Satan's great goal since the crucifixion of Jesus, or the resurrection of Jesus, or the uh, commitment of the gospel to the church has been to try to contain the gospel and prevent the message from going out. Now, we've seen in the book of Acts a number of strategies so far by Satan to accomplish that. Last chapter, in Acts chapter 4, we saw the first seeds of persecution. Satan, uh, the, the, the high priest and the Jewish leaders take the apostles that have up to now have been preaching the gospel and, and put them on trial and they threatened them against preaching the gospel. They say, don't pre- preach the gospel or else. And we don't know what the or else, or else was, but it was probably a promise of, of some type of punishment and affliction to the apostles if they continue to preach the gospel. What did the apostles do? They walk out of there and they pray for boldness to continue to preach the gospel. Okay, That was their answer to this effort by Satan to contain the gospel. Okay, then earlier in this chapter, by the way, we're in chapter 5, we saw Satan trying another strategy, and that was by uh, putting in unbelievers in the church together with the believers, and making the unbelievers try to look like believers, and in a sense attacking the church from inside, trying to pollute the church, contaminate the purity of the church. And We see God acts very swiftly and he removes those two individuals out of the church, and that's that's the commandment of God to us today. If there's a hypocrisy in the church, if people confess to be Christians, but they're living in sin, we're told to do the same. Separate them. Take them out of the church. Don't contaminate the church with leaven, something that's going to uh, reduce the effectiveness of the church in their service for Christ. Okay. Well, today we're back to persecution. So if you would, this is a, a persecution, persecution, uh, raised to the next notch of level. Last time, all that happened to the apostles is they were threatened. They were told, stop preaching the gospel or else this time they're going to start suffering. And again, the whole uh, purpose here is Satan is trying to contain the gospel. He doesn't want the gospel to go out. And now he's going to inflict pain upon them and try by that way to keep them from preaching the gospel. Okay, So let's start with the passage. We're going to be reading in chapter 5. and verse 17 and to try and uh, keep us from getting lost i'll just read a few verses at a time because there's a lot of things happening here okay so starting in verse 17 it says then the high priest rose up and all who were with him which were which is the sect of the sadducees and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison." We'll stop there for now. Well, it says that uh, the high priests and those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with indignation. Well why are they filled with indignation? You have to read the previous verses. And if you read the previous verses, verses 12 through 16, you see the church is is, is really being strengthened. They're growing and in leaps in, in bounds. There's a lot of miracles being performed, a lot of people believe. and The leaders, these rulers of, of Israel, it's one sect of the rulers. The Jewish leadership was divided into sects. This was the high priest and the sect of the Sadducees. And they're, they're being indignant, they're being jealous, they're being concerned that as the power of the church or the influence of the church is growing, it's going to take away from their power. So it's, it's a rather, uh, selfish move. They're, they're trying to protect what they view as their power, their right over people, their influence over the people. They don't want that taken away from the church. okay? And that's that's leading them to persecute the apostles or to go after them. And it says here that they arrest them, they lay their hands on the apostles, and they put them in the common prison. It's sometimes useful to contrast different events in the Bible to learn more from them And if we try to contrast this a little bit with what happened in chapter 4, the previous chapter, where the apostles were arrested, I noticed there's there's, uh, four distinctions. One, uh, as I mentioned this time, they're arresting the apostles because of the growing influence over the people. The previous time, it was because of the doctrine they were preaching. They were preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. They were preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Okay, that's one difference. Another one is uh, how and when they arrest them. Last time it was in the act. They did something specifically. They were preaching Jesus in the temple. This time it's not clear what they were doing. Well, the church was going, but they might have been at home when they were arrested. It could have been any hour of the day. It wasn't in response to them doing anything in particular. Okay. Another difference. The previous time it just says they were put in custody. And it suggests to me they were probably put in custody in one of the uh, the temple had a whole complex. It had obviously the place people worship God, but it also had different rooms and maybe apartments for the priests, uh, places for storage. It may have had rooms for, for for confinement, and it might have been in one of those rooms that the apostles were confined at that time. Now the reason they were confined at that time—that's another difference—is it was late in the day; it was evening when they were caught preaching in the temple. Okay, so it was just convenient waiting for the next day for the trial, they were put in custody. Well, this time, they could have been arrested any time of the day, really whenever the priest wanted to. And it says that they were put in the common prison. Okay, The common prison was probably a lot less comfortable than just this room for, for custody. I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was taken on a tour of Arcadia Prison. Arcadia is uh, just one of the suburbs of Los Angeles. And the police just wanted to show us the police station. In the police station they do have a room for somebody that, you know, got caught too drunk to drive or, you know, sleeping on the street because he was so drunk. And the police just wanna get that person out of harm's way and out of harming people for just that day. They'll put him in that room in that in the police station, in custody. Okay, well the common prison, well that's where hardcore criminals are doing time. It's probably a lot less comfortable place. And so the question is, why are the apostles being put there this time? And the answer for that, that that I see in the scriptures is the high priest last time didn't find these men too accommodating. Last time he, he tells them, stop preaching the gospel. Peter tells him, you judge whether it's right for me to stop preaching the gospel if God told me to preach it. And I don't think the high priest liked that response. Well, this time he's going to, you know, what do you call it? Tighten the screws a bit. but the, the thumb screws. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't want this type of response. He's trying to soften the apostles. He's trying to make them realize it's not going to go so well with you this time if you guys are not more cooperative. Okay? I think the term sometimes is, is trying to soften them up. Okay? Really, again, the purpose here is, is that Satan wants to stop the gospel from going out. And this is really the first time you know, beginning to put the pressure on them before the trial, so that when the trial comes, they're going to be a little more compliant. Okay, let's continue reading. In verse 19, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. We'll stop there again. Well, God, uh, didn't let this plan, plan by Satan play itself out. Okay, he, he didn't want to see the apostles broken down or softened up in the preaching of the gospel. And so instead of letting them spend the night in prison, God sends an angel, gets them out. It's a miraculous event. No doors were opened. No, no locks were opened. The guards were still at the prison, but the apostles are out. Just a complete miraculous event. God sends an angel, he takes the apostles from the prison, the common prison, and gets them out. Okay. That should be very encouraging for the apostles, because it's not pleasant to be in the common prison. And certainly, like you and me, they would have felt, uh, they would have started worrying what would happen to them. And so for God to take them out, he's basically showing them, look guys, I'm in control. You don't have to worry. Okay. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be allowed to suffer. The scripture talk about the fact that God will allow us to suffer. He allowed his son to suffer. Okay, Jesus said, you know, the servant is not greater than his Lord. So if God allows Jesus to suffer for the gospel's sake, he'll allow us to suffer. But God wants us to understand that he is still in control. And he's not going to let us suffer more than we are able to suffer, or more than he is willing to allow us to suffer. Encouragement number one. Encouragement number two, God tells them, go to the temple and preach all the words of this life. Now, that seems almost uh, kind of strange. You know, I would almost expect it to say something. God got them out of prison, told them, you know what, I'm done with these people. They're not listening to the gospel. I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. You know, start preaching to them. They're gonna hear the gospel. They're going to believe it. That's what God does with Paul at some point. He tells him, these people are not going to listen to you. You know, I want you to go out and start preaching to the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel. Well, God doesn't do it. He says, go back to the temple where they were preaching, which they really hated, where you were preaching, they were hating that, and preach all the words of this life. I don't want you to omit anything, even the offensive stuff that they don't like hearing. I want you to preach all of it. Well, how is that going to encourage the apostles? I was thinking about it. And I was putting myself in their shoes and one of the things that would have happened to me had I been put in the common prison is, and start suffering, is I would start wondering, well, why am I suffering? Maybe I've been a little too bold. okay? Maybe I wasn't as uh, careful in the things I was preaching. I don't have to offend people. I could have just shared the good news maybe and not the bad news with the people. I could have been a little more uh, sensitive of other people's taboos and not said something that would have made them really upset. I mean, that's, that's the way I would have thought, being in the prison. Well, God takes them out and He says, no, go to the temple and preach all the words of these lives. I'm gonna to have to think, you know what? No. I wasn't too bold. You know, I, I shouldn't have been more sensitive than I have been because what God wants me to be in the temple and to be preaching all the things that I know these people don't, don't want to hear. Okay, so it's a confirmation, not just that God was in control, but you're doing exactly what you should be doing. You're not suffering because of anything that you have done wrong. You're suffering because you're doing something right. You're doing what I want you to. Okay, And that, that's encouraging to me because sometimes I'm wondering, am I doing the right thing? Is What I'm experiencing, is that my own fault because I'm not doing what I should be doing? No, they were doing what they should have been doing. Okay? That's, that's important uh, for us uh, to apply for ourselves. The devil is still using the same tactic today. I know uh, what Rick mentioned in, in the previous preaching that persecution hasn't been the most effective weapon of the devil. I mean, he used it many years and the church is still here, they, Perhaps the the time the devil used persecution most was really in the first couple of centuries, maybe the first three centuries of the church. There was very heavy persecution by the Romans. I mean, they outlawed Christianity, they sent their soldiers, anyone who confessed to be a Christian wasn't just put in prison, he would be put to death. And not just put to death, they would be tortured to death. The Romans tried to get them to confess that they you know, don't believe, they, they tried to get them to repent of Christianity. There was a lot of pressure on Christianity in the first two sh- centuries. And the church ca- came out of those years of persecution stronger than it's ever been before. It was spread throughout the Roman empires. There were strong believers. So, it wasn't, Satan wasn't able to, to stop the church with persecution. But, I know that persecution or suffering is effective in my life. Okay? And we sometimes think, well, persecution, we don't really have that today, do we? Here's here's something interesting. If uh, we turn to Matthew chapter 5. And looking at verses 10 through 12. Jesus talks here about persecution. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Usually, when we think about persecution, we think about uh, what, what tends to happen more in other countries and maybe happen more in other ages, and that of apostles being put in prison, uh, not apostles, believers being put in prison, uh, beaten up, tortured, and put to death. Usually when we think about persecution, we really think about people experiencing physical pain. Well, if you look here at what Jesus said, he, he mentioned three things. Oh. Or oh really, uh, especially verse 11, he talks here about persecution and he, he says this Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely, uh, evil against you falsely for my name. When When somebody says evil of you because of your faith or service for Jesus, that's persecution. And Jesus continues to say, that's what they did to the prophets. A lot of persecution is at the level when people are saying bad things about you. God counts as as persecution. We should count it as persecution. Okay? And not just when we're thinking about reward, thinking about how Satan is preventing us from getting the gospel out. And I'm only stressing it because I know it's effective in my life. I remember there was uh, some low-level persecution when I was uh, serving the Lord in the Acts house. We had a Bible study over there. And people did a number of, of things that were kind of minor disturbances. To the study. They didn't like us meeting in, in the fraternity house and having a Bible study and maybe witnessing on our free time to people. But one of the things that hurt me most, I remember uh, somebody, a couple of guys were playing their guitar and singing silly verses, and one of them started singing about, you know, we have a cult meeting in our house and blah, blah, blah. I don't remember the rest of it, and it really hurt me. Really, you know, them singing, talking about us being a cult, meeting in their house. I don't know why, but that just really went to the heart, being called a cult. And uh, I know in, in, in many areas of my life, when I have an opportunity to say something, I have an opportunity to witness to somebody on an airplane, at work, a friend, a coworker, there's like something that's filling my lips. And that's the fear of what they're going to think of me, and the fear of what they're going to say about me after I preach on them. It's Satan's strategy to this day. Remember, he's trying to contain the gospel. If the gospel goes out, people will hear it and get saved. And Satan is trying to stop it, and he's going to put the pressure on us. Persecution, suffering. Well, we have a good example. So certainly uh, the apostles had a lot more to worry about than we generally do. And yet God told them, go to the temple, preach all the words of this life. And it says, early in the morning, they went to the temple and started preaching. Which was really, in a sense, more than, it was prompt obedience. Okay, they went quickly and did what the Lord wanted them to do. Okay, uh, let's continue. Back in Acts chapter 5. And uh, we're, I think we're in the middle of verse 21. That, But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things. They wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men you have put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Well, here we see the second reason why God got the The uh, apostles out of the prison. One was to encourage them, to tell them, I'm in control, don't worry about what happens. You guys are doing exactly the right thing, don't worry about what you've been doing, keep on doing it. Okay? There was another reason, and that's for the sake of the high priest. Remember, these are religious men. They're not just religious men, they're the religious authorities. If anyone in Israel had a right to think that they were right with God, that they were, were, you know, had a had it made, these were the guys. Okay, they, they were pretty sure, hey, you know, God is behind us, what we do all the way. Well, this was kind of a wake up call by God when he was doing this miracle as, wait a second, how did this happen? I mean, you had these guys in prisons, it was secured, you checked it, it's still secure, the guys are gone. There's only one answer. God got them out. So it was God, God kind of waking them up saying, wait a second, I'm not with you guys. I'm against you guys. Okay, now uh, people need to recognize that because until they realize that they are at odds with God, they're not going to listen to the good news. They're not going to. The the gospel is that God is offering you a way for salvation. Well, if I'm I'm doing good with God, I'm right with God. I don't need to be saved. I'm okay where I am. Okay. So really, in preparation for the witness, the testimony, these guys were going to receive. God was preparing them here to that, okay? Now, it's not just I know it's not just the religious leaders of 2,000 years ago that thought they were right with God. Uh, people will go out today and do, uh, what do you call those? Questionnaires, uh, try, trying to find out what people out there believe. And they'll go and they'll ask the questions, surveys, that's right, they'll do surveys. And it turns out about... You know, 80 to 90% of the people believe they're good enough to go to heaven. Okay, that may sound pretty good. Well, there's one problem with that, and that that Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that go thereby. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it. Well, somehow 90% of the people feel that they're going the right way, but Jesus said few go that way. So he tells you, uh, there's a lot of people there that are misguided. They think they're right with God. The truth is they're not right with God. And that's part of, of the job of the ministers of the gospel to tell people, look, that's just not true. You're not right with God. And that's one of the reasons people don't like what we tell them. And as a result, there's persecution coming upon us. But that's that's an important part of the gospel. Okay. Uh, moving on. So So God did this miracle to wake these guys up. In a sense soften them up. Remember, they were trying to soften the apostles. Well, God got the apostles out of that, and now God is trying to soften them a little bit to the message of the gospel. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, this is the accusation. So, this is a trial. And the first thing that will be done in the trial is the judgment is going to be read against the accused. And this is the judgment. You guys disobeyed us. We told you not to preach in Jesus' name. And you guys are doing it to bring his blood upon us. You're trying to get us uh, be accused and condemned for, for the death of Jesus. So, that's, that's the accusation that's being brought against the apostles. Well, one half of it is true. They did disobey. The, the rulers. The rulers did tell them not to do it, and yes, they disregarded that, and technically that could be looked upon as breaking the law. Well, the second part is kind of strange that they're, they're telling, they're accusing the apostles of trying to blame them for the death of Jesus because they are, they are guilty of the death of Jesus. So, what it really shows is they're, they're trying to uh, disassociate themselves from that guilt after the event. I, I work for a company that cleans very expensive machine parts for the semiconductor industry. Like a small part like this might be worth several thousand dollars. And uh, recently there was a case where uh, one of our customers sent us some parts to clean, and we cleaned them and returned it to them. And afterwards, they said, where's well, this other part that we sent here? And we're like, what other part? It's a, it's a wafer. It's a ceramic wafer, but uh, 12 inches across, and I think it was worth about two or three thousand dollars. And uh, neither side was willing to yield. The person in the other company that put everything in the box said it was there, and the person at our company that opened the box up said it wasn't there. Well, one of them is lying. Okay, somewhere somebody probably dropped this part. It broke, and you know they, you know, put it someplace nobody will find it. And they're claiming innocent, and you know it must have happened because somewhere the part disappeared. Okay, but nobody wants to be associated with it because no one wants to be held accountable for what happened because so no one wants someone in the record say, well, next time this guy goes up to a raise, please remember, you know, they they lost a part or broke a part that was worth a few thousand dollars. And it's the same way people don't want to be associated with guilt. If even if they've done something that's wrong, they try to disassociate themselves from it because they don't want to be accountable for it. And that's exactly what the rulers are saying. Hey, don't associate us with the death of Jesus. We're not responsible for what happened. Well, that, that's a very imprecise statement. It, it's actually, they didn't just bring, I mean, work the capture Jesus and brought him to, to Pilate. Pilate said, I want to have nothing to do with this man. And when they kept pressing him, eventually he said, you know, my hands are clean from the blood of this man. It's on you. And they said, that's fine. You know, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. At that moment they, they took it. Okay, and now they're trying to disassociate themselves from it. Again, people just don't want to be considered sinners. They want to think that they're right with God. They don't want to think about what's going to happen to them because they stand guilty before God. Okay. Uh, the the second part that stands out is it, it and it's something common today. A lot of time you preach the gospel to people, you tell them, uh, you know, you're a sinner. And and you need to be made right with God or you're going to hell. The wonderful thing, Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And by putting your faith in him, God will forgive you all your sins and you can go to heaven. And a lot of time, people, all all they hear somehow is, you're trying to prevent me from doing the things I want to do. I have a lot of things I want to do in my life. And you're telling me that these things are wrong. And so, you know, I don't want to listen to what you have to say. They're viewing the gospel as something that's attacking them the way that they want to live. Well, that's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to save them. It's it's Right now, people are condemned before God. They're in their sin. They're under the penalty of death. They're going to go to an eternity in hell. And God is trying to save them out of that. And that's the purpose of the gospel. It's a message of salvation. And yet people, oh, oof, ah, I don't want to hear it. You're you're crimping my style here. Okay and and that's again what this the rulers were thinking all you're doing is you're taking away from our power and influence over the people we look at the gospel as something you're using against us whereas in the truth it was something for them so if if you're today and and you haven't heard much and you're beginning to feel like i'm crimping your style remember god is actually trying to help you he's trying to save you from hell he's not trying to stop you from having a good time of course you'll find out that the things that you think are a good time are really not that good for you, okay? so God will save you from them too. But really, the gospel, it's for you. It's not against you. Okay, uh, picking up in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It's an interesting defense, and in fact, it's almost no defense at all. It's not, Peter is not, treating, he's not standing as an accused before his judges And trying to justify himself and get out of paying the penalty. If he did, he could have found words that were a little less offensive than calling them murderers. Okay? But what he's really doing is he's witnessing to these people. He's not stopping. Okay? God got him out of prison, sent him to preach at the temple. Fine, he's preaching at the temple. Well, they're getting him out of the temple, bringing him to the court. He's gonna preach to them at the court. He's not gonna stop preaching the gospel. And you find here all the element of the gospel. First, is telling them this is from God. This is a message from God. You need to listen to it. It's about Jesus, who rose from the dead. This is the greatest event that ever happened. It changed our lives. It's ought to change yours. Okay. It's the reason God did it is to give you repentance and forgiveness of sins. He made Him a savior. He's here to save you. This is a message of salvation. We're preaching to you. Be saved from your sin. Be saved from hell. This is an offer of salvation. God wants to save you from your sin. Okay? It says, you know, we're here to confirm it's true. We saw him. Right? Everybody saw him die. We saw him after he rose from the dead. This is true. There were his witnesses confirming it. And not just us, it's the Holy Spirit too. Remember the reason that the rulers have them in prison now? It's because they're doing miracles on the streets of Jerusalem. People are believing because they're seeing miracles. Well, the Holy Spirit is confirming this is what we're telling you. This offer of salvation we're bringing to you from God. It's true. It's confirmed by us. We saw it. Trust us. It's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. He's doing miracles left and right. We can say the same today. Uh, we, we, we don't have... We haven't seen... I haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead. okay. But I've seen the changes he wrought in my life. Jesus changed me. I'm not the same man I was before Jesus met me and changed me. Okay, I can testify of that. I, can, I may not be able to do miracles of healings, but I can live a supernatural life by the power of the Holy Spirit and bear his fruit. And again, that's tes- all these things are testimony confirming the truth of the gospel which we'll bring to people. We can do the same today. Okay, well, uh, there's, there's a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians... Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says this, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death, and to the other the aroma of life to life. When we preach the gospel, we don't know what the response is going to be. Somebody might hear it and, and believe and rejoice and there was an opportunity there for the rulers to do that, to believe the gospel and, and be saved and rejoice. Some people will harden themselves and reject the gospel, and all they get out of it is they hear condemnation. You're telling me that, that I'm a sinner, that God hates me for my sins, and I'm going to hell. You know what? I don't like that message very much. And uh, it just makes them angry. And that was the case with these rulers. It just made them furious at the apostles. And they were ready to kill the apostles. And they started talking about, okay, well, what, what's, what's your vote? Uh, death. What's your vote? Death. They were, they were beginning to come up with the judgment and they were all going to condemn the apostle to death. Okay, well, praise God, he had other plans for the apostles. Continuing in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to be to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Well, uh, Gamaliel it was a very famous uh, teacher. In fact, you can find him quoted today in uh, the Jewish, uh, uh, one of the Jewish religious books called the Mishnah. Uh, probably the most famous guy in all that bunch of people that were sitting there and judging uh, the apostles, and and God somehow overruled. And while the rest of them were, you know, freaking out about the apostles, he kept one guy reasonable, okay, and thinking about what was going on here. And everything he says is, is really basically human reasoning. There's nothing particularly godly in what he says. And he basically tells them, you know, you guys need to, to stop and think about it. Let's put these guys out, come down, and let's think about what we're doing here. He says, look, if this is just of men, if these people are just, you know, gathering around a guy and he's just a guy, this is not of God, there's nothing special, we know what's going to happen. We had examples of this before. Somebody stands up, claims to be somebody great, everybody follows him. He, leads them in rebellion against the Romans or something. Well, once that guy gets killed, you know, the guy is just dispersed. The whole movement stops, it ends. And the point is, if that's what these guys are, you don't need to worry about them. This whole thing is just gonna go away. You don't even need to interfere with what these guys are doing. Just let them be, it's just gonna go away. But, if it is of God, first of all, you can't, stop, you can't stop it. There's no way you're going to prevent God from doing what God wants to do. And second of all, it's morally wrong to fight against God. So, just let him alone. Okay, that that sounds logical. Okay, I mean, it was just a reasonable thing that this guy said. This guy wasn't a believer. As far as we know, he never became a believer. But he just was bringing up some, making some reasonable arguments. Okay? And we're all thankful because it meant the apostles had some more years of service. It didn't really matter to them. They would have died and gone on to be with Jesus. But God in His sovereignty, uh, decided that the church needed some more building up and teaching transferred from these people. Some of them still had to write a few epistles that we have today in the Word of God. So God protected them through this man. Now, there, are, there is actually something a little wrong with what he says, but it's really the other way. He basically says, look, we don't know. Maybe these guys are from God. Well, hello? What about all these miracles these guys has been doing? <laughs> There's been already plenty of evidence that these guys were from God. And it's dangerous to wait for more evidence. There's no evidence this guy was ever saved. Okay, He needed to recognize the evidence he already had. There's no evidence these rulers were ever saved. All we know is God gave Israel a period of 40 years from when Jesus came. And after 40 years, the Roman Empire, Empire went in and just destroyed the land, killed people, took them to captivity, demolished Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. So there was a certain period of time and opportunity for them to believe and to come to Jesus and it's typically that period of time uh in God's providence is 40 years for for the nation of Israel and and they failed and that's why they've been dispersed and you know many things have happened since that we can't go into now uh but you don't know how long God has for you if God has given you signs and evidence of the gospel you don't really want to wait for more evidence because you may never get it you may die before more evidence comes so it says In the Bible, today is the day of salvation. Okay, don't wait. Okay, well, continuing in verse 40. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Well, if this was Hollywood, I mean, probably everybody would have gotten saved. And, uh, you know, the apostles would have gone rejoicing on their way. Or at least, well, they're going to wait. And so in the meantime, they're really going to leave these guys alone, let them do whatever they want to do. But this wasn't Hollywood. This was the real world. And you had some very angry people against the apostles telling them they were sinners. And they decided to teach the apostles a lesson. And uh the word here is beaten. Beat they, they they got a beating or uh they go to the apostle and beaten them. Well in the Greek the word is better translated as flail or scourge. That would be the right word, which probably means the apostles were uh, stripped of their outer garments. Remember this is happening before everybody that's anybody in Israel. Okay, so this is a public beating in front of, of all the, you know, people that, that mean anything in Israel. Their clothes are stripped, or at least their outer garments. Their hands are tied over their head, probably to a pole or something so that they can't move. And then well, either, either a cane or a whip was used, and the traditional beating in Jewish penalties was uh, 40 times minus one, because they weren't allowed to, to hit more than 40 times according to the law. So 40 times you'd be hit in the back with a cane, and this is the kind of beating that we <coughs> made me think of uh, of slaves uh, those pictures of, of slaves from like the 1800s or 1700s that have scars on their back because of the beating they received, the weeping they received, and I think this is probably what this left, I mean this was a very serious beating that these guys have received it was really to teach them a lesson you know, soften them up don't preach Jesus anymore, and they also added the command, don't preach Jesus anymore and this was basically or you know what's going to happen to you because you've just suffered it. Okay, This was really to cause the apostles to stop. And uh, I don't know about you, how you expect you'd react. What would you do after you got a beating like that? Uh, makes me think of of uh, a person that visited this church some years ago and he told a story. He was witnessing in Israel and handing out tracts to people at the airport and then one guy just slugged him across the face. And the guy said, you know what, forget it. He threw his tracks down, he got on the next plane, flew back to his home, he was from, from uh, Holland or something like that, decided he wasn't going to preach the gospel anymore. Of course, God was after him <laughs> and, and turned him around. Uh, and he actually had a really tough time until he finally came back to the Lord. Uh, but you'd almost expect these guys to do. Somehow, well, you know, this is just too much. Well, what does the scripture say? It says... Uh, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So remember again, the purpose of the devil all of this was to contain the gospel. Get these guys so discouraged, so afraid of getting hurt again. And they would stop speaking in Jesus' name. What's, at least, you know, maybe just do it privately at their houses anymore. Don't do it publicly. He's trying to contain it. Well, the very opposite is happening. This guy says they're rejoicing, they feel honored, and they preach the gospel even more. And, uh, when I was, uh, young, I, in the kibbutz, they would, uh, take us on these day trips once in a while. And me and a friend of mine decided that we weren't, Gonna go. We, we decided it'll be more fun to, to just, you know, play around the kibbutz. Hang out here rather than go wherever they were going. So, you know, we were hiding. When everybody was getting in the bus, we hid somewhere so they wouldn't see us. The bus went and here we were, free to roam the kibbutz and play around. Well, one of the adults at the kibbutz found us and felt that it was his responsibility to apply some discipline. <laughs> and so we got turned over his knee and had her behind warmed for us. And uh, I remember being determined, I'm not going to let it faze me. And so, you know, when he started spanking me, I just started laughing, you know, <laughs> deliberately. Well, it didn't last very long. <laughs> and before, before he stopped uh, spanking me, I was crying. But uh, this wasn't what the apostles were doing, okay? They weren't, you know, trying to show the priest that you're not going to scare us. We're going to do it even more. They really did rejoice. They really felt honor. They really had a greater desire to serve the Lord. And I was thinking about it, and and I came up with with at least three reasons, and there might be more, of why of why instead of being in misery they were rejoicing and served the Lord more. Number one. Uh, it says in Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse five, it says, "For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation." also abounds through Christ. This is something you can't do. It's something Jesus does. And there's a lot of confirmation from historical testimony that, that when people are persecuted, Jesus is right there with them and he comforts them and he consoles them. It's, it's nothing less than the grace of God. He comes, when I'm suffering for him, he actually comes closer and he encourages me from the inside, maybe through his word, maybe through signs, maybe in different ways. But the point is, Jesus comforts you. It, it says there's a phrase, in, uh, in the Old Testament, where it says that God will comfort Israel or His people as a mother com- comforts her children. And I think of my, my children when they fall and they hurt their head, and you know my wife takes them in her hand, and it comforts them like nothing else would. In a similar way, Jesus can comfort us while we're suffering for Him, like nobody else can. And it's a closeness to him. Okay? And that's what really makes the difference. Okay? That's why these guys weren't faking it. Because Jesus was doing it. Jesus was comforting them. And that's why they were able to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Okay? Number two. They believed what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said. We read it before. Jesus said, when these things happen, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And we sometimes kind of just gloss over those words. They don't mean a lot to us. But for the apostles, it meant a lot. Because they were suffering. And they remembered what Jesus said. And they believed him. And that's the key thing. When Jesus said, when you're suffering, you actually should be rejoicing. Because that is how great your reward is in heaven as a result of this suffering. They took him at his word. And said, you know, I don't know what the reward is. It's hard for me to imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be a pot of gold because the streets are paved of gold. So gold has no value there. But whatever the reward is, is so great that it's worth whatever it is that I am experiencing. And let me tell you, I've done some reading about some of the suffering of the saints over the years, and it's hard to imagine the things people went through for the Lord. And yet Jesus said, in the midst of this most terrible suffering, you, you can rejoice because that is how great your reward is in heaven. Boy, I wait till we get to heaven and see what those rewards are that are going to be make it worth for people to suffer so much for the Lord. Uh, Number three, that's the third reason I thought of why they would be encouraged uh, by this type of suffering. Jesus said that this was going to happen. He said, if you were of the world, the world will love his own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world therefore the world hates you. So when I am being persecuted, it actually means I'm where I'm supposed to be. Okay, And it doesn't mean that persecution is fun or something that I particularly want to experience but there's a confirmation when I'm being persecuted, I must be doing what Jesus wants me to do because I'm suffering just like he told me I would be suffering. There's There's a Uh, a verse in the scripture that says yes and everyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and so from suffering persecution it's a confirmation I am living godly in Christ Jesus which is also kind of a concern if I'm not suffering persecution am I really living for Jesus I haven't been persecuted for a long time okay so these are all reasons of why we can be encouraged, even while we're suffering, even in persecution. And the devil is trying to contain us, is trying to bring suffering upon us that, that will stop us from speaking. And it's very tempting. I know it's very tempting for myself, and, and that's why I'm saying it, to, to keep silent or to minimize the type of witness I do or to witness only to people that I know are more receptive. But It's it's a lie by Satan that I'm going to be happier by avoiding persecution than by preaching the gospel. Because if if I surrender to this lie of the devil and I say, Well, I don't want to be persecuted, so I'm going to keep my lips closed or going to minimize what I say. Well, number one, you're going to miss out on the comfort that Jesus gives those that are persecuted. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the abundant life is a life of suffering for Jesus. And him coming close and strengthening you in it. Okay, so you'll be missing out on that. You're not going to have much expectation of reward in heaven. In fact, it's something interesting Jesus said. He says, uh, "Those who search for earthly treasure." He says, "Well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." And if, if I'm not that interested in the treasures of heaven, I'm more interested in keeping comfortable over here. That's where my heart will be. I'm not likely to, to be thinking of divine things or want divine things or want the treasures in heaven because that's not where I'm building up my treasure house. I'm more concerned of building a comfortable life for me here. It's really it's going to cool down your temperature as a Christian to not be witnessing. And finally, I already mentioned it, uh, you're going to be wondering, am I really what the Lord wants me to be when I'm not suffering persecution? You think it'll be better to keep your mouth shut and to not expose yourself for persecution. The results, really, is is not just are you robbing others from the gospel, you're robbing yourself from the effective Christian life. So, it's not just to you guys, I'm speaking to myself. I know this is an effective weapon of the devil to this day. He tries to contain the gospel in us. Let it out. Let the lower lights be burning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your encouragement to us. To be sharing the gospel with others. We thank you that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And that now that your work is completed, all that's left for a person is to hear the gospel, to understand the gospel, and to believe the gospel for him to be saved. Help us, Lord, be willing to be vessels for you to reach out with the gospel to other people. And let us See people saved and give us boldness, Lord, as the apostles prayed for boldness, not to be contained or confined by fear of persecution or of suffering, but to be willing to, uh, through you, or for you through us to declare the gospel to others and see them saved. That we, even if we might suffer, Lord, that we might enjoy all the joys you give those that suffer through you, that we might be strengthened to rejoice and to be more diligent in our work rather than of folding up inside ourselves and not letting your word or the gospel out. Give us your strength, we ask, Lord. In Jesus' name.